Welcome to episode 89 of Monday State of Mind. My name is Michael Mazel, and I'm the Director of Alumni and Recovery Support Services for the Harmony Foundation. Happy 2022! I said it last week when we kicked off Monday State of Mind for, again, 2022! I'm so excited about this month in particular for the theme that we're going with. I'm excited about the guest we have today, which I'll give you guys a little backstory on in a second. And really, I'm just super grateful that we are on 89 episodes of Monday State of Mind. Myself and Christy, who is my right-hand woman behind the scenes, we've really created an amazing resource library for so many of you. And I cannot wait to continue this into the new year. So, okay, you guys, check it. My guest today As you guys know, we are talking about family and recovery. And my guest today is somebody that, well, I believe she is super special. She has like been through the ringer and and I'll say been through the ringer in good ways and maybe not so great ways, which is why I'm having her on because she has quite the story and this guest today. And of course, yes, she will introduce herself. So just hold on to your panties for a second. This amazing woman is actually a family member. She is not the one that is in recovery. It is her parents that are in recovery. And she is coming today to kick off January talking about what it is like from the family members side of getting to know her parents again in recovery because she saw them, witnessed them when they weren't in recovery. And what does it look like to hear from the family side of, hey, like this is how it really does impact us. This is how I've been able to navigate. This is how our family dynamic has shifted and how it has shifted ultimately for the better. I know that this guest today is going to bring a lot of realism to all of you because that's what Monday State of Mind is all about, is being very honest and transparent and being able to talk about things that are going to really elevate our state of mind and to be able to talk through things that we might have shame over, that we might feel embarrassed about, or we feel that are uncomfortable. But here's the thing. We can't change our state of mind to work for us until we acknowledge some of these uncomfortable emotions and talk through them so that we can come out on the other side more powerful and more equipped and ready to handle the situations that present themselves to us. So we are going to deep dive with this amazing human being right now for about the next 20 or 30 minutes because she's got some things to share. So, okay. You got to tell us, who do I have the distinct pleasure of having on Monday State of Mind? First of all, thank you so much for having me. I'm very honored to be here. My name is Rachel Hoofler, and I am uh, the daughter of two people who are currently in recovery. My mom has been in recovery for, oh, geez. See, now I'm about to be a bad kid, but she's been in recovery for 25 years, almost 25, something like that. And my dad just celebrated 15. So thank you again for having me. I'm happy to be here. Yeah, she has two parents that are in recovery and she's seen it all. And so let's get present. Here we go. So Rachel, my main woman, when I asked you to come on and talk about 
family and alcoholism and the dynamics and just all of it. What were some of your initial thoughts when you're like, okay, like I'm going to talk about my family dynamics and how it has affected my dynamic and what life is like now? Like, what were some of your thoughts? I mean, I think certainly initially I, I felt pretty excited about it. I'm really passionate about my parents' recovery is a big part of my life now. So I'm really thrilled to be able to share my experience. There is a little bit, I guess, of fear and kind of nervousness around sharing some of this stuff just because I don't talk about it with people. I only talk about these things with new people. I feel like most of the people who have been in my life for a long time know that my parents are in recovery, kind of know pieces of my story. And so I don't have to share I don't share a lot of this stuff unless I'm meeting someone for the first time or like getting to know someone again, which happens, I think sometimes less frequently as you get older. So I guess that there is a piece of me that's a little bit nervous, but mostly I'm, I'm just excited. And I think that, you know, it's important for us to talk about our experiences and alcoholism, unfortunately is a family disease. So it really does affect everyone, not just the, the people who are going through it. Yeah. So like Rachel, let's bring it back before your parents were in recovery and for you to be somebody to witness. And I don't know that you really witnessed as much of your mom as you did your dad. So mostly your dad, but for you to be a young teenager when you were kind of in the ick of it with your dad and from a family member's perspective, I would love it if you could speak to watching this happen to your family. What were emotions like for you? Was there ever like that desire to control or did you really have any idea of what was really going on with your parent? Yeah, I think, unfortunately, I became aware pretty early on. I think I probably remember kind of realizing what was going on when I was maybe eight or nine. Um, And my dad didn't get sober until I was 16. So there was certainly a long period of time in my life where I was aware of what was going on and where I knew that my dad's drinking wasn't like other people's drinking. And also to speak to what you said, I don't have really any memories of my mom prior to her getting sober. She got sober when I was four. So my mom has pretty much always been sober to me. But in terms of what was my experience, like it was very painful. And there certainly was, I did have, you, you said desire to control and that just like gets me in the feels. Cause I think that's, that was something that I struggled with a lot. I really wanted my dad to stop drinking. I wanted for him to get sober and I was not comfortable with waiting for him to do that in his own time. (laughs) And the older I got, the more aware I was, the more that it felt like it was really affecting me. I didn't want to wait. And I also, for a long time there, I really didn't like being around my dad. So that was something that was certainly really painful too, just getting older and simultaneously wanting to share things with my dad, but then only wanting to share them with him when he was sober. And that became far less frequent. And so it just, there was a lot of pain in that time and just a lot of feeling very alone, very isolated, feeling like I wasn't able to share those experiences with my dad in the way that I wanted to. Yeah. Oh, thank you for sharing that. And so when it comes to that control, I love that you mentioned, you're like, yeah, like I wanted it on my time. And so I would love it if you could speak to, because there's a lot of family members that do struggle with not understanding, like, why are they hurting me? Why is my dad or my mom or my sister still drinking? Like, don't they understand 
the pain that they're causing me. Like, why can't they stop? I know my family members always were like, why can't you just stop, Michael? And I couldn't explain it. I couldn't, unless you're in it, I couldn't explain it. And so for you being on that side of just wanting so badly for them to, for your dad to be able to get help and for him to not do it until he was ready. What was it like for you to potentially understand that? And what were some tools that you kind of utilized to be able to be like, okay, as much as I want to control this, I can't control this. So this is how I'm coping with this. I mean, I will say, considering the fact that my, if I had, if my dad had gotten sober when I was 30, I think my coping mechanisms would have been a lot better than they were when I was 16. Um, (laughs) I I could say that I like had really great coping mechanisms, but I didn't like, I acted out and did a lot of stupid stuff on my side because I was in a lot of pain and I wasn't coping. I mean, I guess like I'm about to really reveal a, a huge part of my personality. I mean, I, I was a big nerd. So I do know one of the things that helped me at the time was I, I mean, I really threw myself into my activities and like in school, I guess like that was my form of coping then because I didn't know what healthy coping mechanisms were. So that's really funny that you say that because I feel, I think that my coping mechanisms are better now, but certainly then not at all. Right. <laughs> You're like, Michael, let's you I didn't have them, you know, and a lot lot of people don't. And I love that you could say that you're like, it was painful. And so when your dad was finally ready to get sober in his eyes and he found a solution and he found his solution in the rooms of AA of Alcoholics Anonymous for you, because I also hear a lot of family members or alcoholics, you know, and addicts say like, my family still doesn't trust me. I'm going to meetings. I'm doing the deal. Why can't they see that I've changed? I know it doesn't happen overnight. And so I would love it if you could speak to what was it like for you when you saw your dad take initiative, like even though it was probably more forced initiative, but the fact that he started it, you saw your dad start this journey Can you just kind of describe your process of being able to start to trust that, hey, maybe this is something that's going to stick for him? Yeah. And I mean, I certainly remember that period that you're talking about, the period of, of not trusting. And, and there was a long time where I think I was just very wary for a long time. I was like, well, I guess we'll see if it sticks. I wasn't really cautiously optimistic, but I don't even know if I was optimistic then. I think I was just hoping for the best, but planning for the worst. I didn't really think it was going to stick. I remember at the time we did some family counseling right after my dad got sober and I was the worst patient. (laughs) I could not have been less receptive to family counseling. Like there were entire sessions where we would go and I just sat in the corner, like crossing my arms, pouting. And the therapist would ask me questions. She's like, Rachel, how do you feel about that? And I was like, I don't feel like talking today. And then I just wouldn't speak. So I definitely did a lot of not participating in my dad's recovery for a while after he got sober. And I will also say there's a lot about that time period that I don't remember very well. And I don't know if that's like, that could potentially be some weird repression thing, but (laughs) there's just a lot of it. That's a little blurry for me, but I guess like, when did I really start to feel like it was real? I don't know. I mean, I don't know that I can pinpoint like an exact time. So my dad got sober. It would have been the winter of my junior year of high school. By the time I graduated high school and went to college. So that was like a year and a half. 
I feel like things were better and I felt more trusting of my dad's sobriety. So I don't know how to describe that period of time. Cause again, it's just like, I remember, yeah, some, no. I remember some of these like pilly parts where I was just like, Oh, I don't want to talk to anybody. And then I, but I don't really remember the part where I was like, okay, this is real. Right. No. And sometimes I'm like, that's trauma. Like we're like, we're like, you know, we're just going to suppress that, you know, (laughs) we don't want to, we don't, we don't need to revisit that. Yeah. And I love that you can be honest about that. Cause sometimes a lot of us it's part of that protection for ourselves. Like we block stuff out that can be super, super painful, or it's just too much to be able to process at that time. And so I love that you said I was cautiously optimistic, but I don't know if I was really optimistic. And I think that that's fair for family members. And I can't believe I'm finally saying that because I used to be like, why can't you just see that I'm better? But there is that fairness. And I feel like that us addicts and alcoholics have to understand that we have to be patient with people like yourself, Rachel, because there was a lot of damage that was done. And it would be selfish of us to think that, oh, you can just come in and trust us and everything's going to be rainbows and unicorns and puppy dogs and amazing. And that's just not the case. And that doesn't mean that you don't love that person, but it's about being like, not only are we healing, but you as a family member, you're healing as well. And would you like to talk about, could you even, I'm not saying, would you like to, I'm going to make you, I'm like, <laughs> I'm like, would you talk about like some of the healing that had to happen for you as your dad continued to get time under his belt in sobriety. And as your guys' relationship started to morph, which we'll get into in a little bit, but what was some of your healing journey for you in order to accept your dad back into your life? Oh, that's hard. I guess some of that is probably because my dad got sober when I was still living in the house. So I didn't have much of an option to say, I don't want to see you anymore. Um, <laughs> you know, I was like, yeah. he, I, he was still footing the bill. So, so I kind of had to, a lot of it certainly in the early period was just like, you described it as kind of forced acceptance as things started to progress, I guess like in a lot of it, I think would just have to be that the parts about my dad that I love and the things about him that make him who he is, which to me was the worst part about him drinking is that I didn't feel like my dad was who he was when he was drinking. I felt like it was this other person who said mean things and, and acted in ways that I didn't understand and felt very contrary to me to the way that he actually is. So I guess some of the healing for me was just seeing those pieces of my dad come back and seeing those parts of him kind of return to the forefront because anyone who's met my dad and you're one of those people, like he is abundantly kind and he is generous and he is grateful and he is smart and he's funny. And I think that some of those things, those qualities have only improved in sobriety, which makes sense to me because that's how recovery works. But a lot of those qualities were there even when he was drinking. And so the fact that they got stripped away there for a while. I think that was probably part of what was so hard about it for me. So as those things started to come back, I think I started to be able to appreciate him more and start to feel like that relationship could be there again, because I was seeing him again. Yeah. Oh, 
I really like how you put that. You knew who your dad was, but when he was drinking, it was kind of taken away or it wasn't him at all. Kind of like flash forward into his recovery now that he has some time under his belt. And so one of the things that I hear also a lot from people in recovery or even on the family member side, like when they get sober, when your dad initially got sober, they have to put recovery first. So everything else doesn't come last. And a lot of, whether it is parents, I'm going to go ahead and say parents there, I get the excuse all the time. They're like, I can't go to meetings, Michael, because my kid's going to resent me. I can't go to my meetings because my kid's going to be upset with me. And I am like, really? Let's talk about this with the kid. Let's actually get like a real answer here. And I'm like, let's talk to Rachel here. So Rachel, your dad, like his, his recovery choices, the 12 steps and meetings are a part of it. Do you feel that when he has to go to meetings, are you like, oh, you know what, dad, like, I can't believe you're doing that. Like, that's so selfish. Why aren't you hanging out with me? What is your honest perspective about that, that you can share with those people that are in recovery that are like, my kid's going to resent me now that I have to go to meetings. Oh man, I, for me personally, that just like could not be further from the truth. My dad had wanted to go to three meetings a day when he was first getting sober, it would have been fine with me. A, because at that very early point, I still didn't like him that much. So I probably would have just been glad to have him out of the house. But on a more sincere note, I really wanted for my dad deep down, I wanted for my dad to get sober and I wanted for my dad to stay sober. That's what I wanted. So now also we live a thousand miles away from each other. So it's a little bit different. And, you know, his actual physical process of recovery, going to meetings, meeting with sponsees, whatever, doesn't really impact my day to day. But at the time when it did, A, I was dealing too much with my own shit to feel too worried about whether he was going to meetings. I was like, I'm dealing with my stuff, which is like being a teenager and dealing with all the things that came with my dad getting sober. So I think there is a part of me that says like, if you're worried about what your kids are thinking, because you think they're not going to like you going to meetings, A, they want you to go to meetings, but B, like they're probably still dealing with their own crap from you getting sober and they don't have time to think about how many meetings you're going to. That's just my perspective. All of you guys, you got to put this on effing repeat. Like (laughs) all of you that are worried about your kids, it's like they would rather you be in a meeting for an hour than drunk and passed out than yelling at them. Right, Rachel? Like, am I right? You are right. Like, (laughs) dude, I would have taken a thousand meetings. When I hear, and I'm sorry, you guys, like, I'm going to be harsh here. But when I hear people say, oh, Michael, but I have my kids at home. I'm like, this is an hour a day. Don't tell me you don't have time. Like you had time to go drink and pass out with your kids there. Don't tell me you don't have time to go to a meeting. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Don't do it. And you're right. Like, yeah, I would take a meeting any day. Cause the, the drinking <laughs> out was, also, was way worse. <laughs> You're like, that shit's for the birds, man. I don't, I will take meetings. <laughs> so I, if any of you are, are, were worried about that, you are hearing from an adult kid herself. Rachel's like, go to meetings. I'm going to say it too. I know I only have a fur baby. His name is Henry, but I know he would say, Michael, go to meetings. So I'm <laughs> like, go to meetings. Thank you for that, Rachel. We got to squash some myths here. We're debunking here, okay? We are debunking. (laughs) 
So we talked a little bit about the ick. We talked about the pain. We talked about some of the patience that's involved with family members learning and how you had to like, it was a slow process for you to trust your dad again. And so coming into a few years now of him being sober, what does your relationship, uh, Rachel, look like now that he has a really strong recovery program? What is your family dynamic like now that he does put recovery first for your family? This is the part where that I love to talk about because I, this is the part where I'm the luckiest kid in the world, but I'm, my dad is one of my best friends and my mom is one of my best friends. And like right now, literally right now, they're sitting in my living room with my boyfriend hanging out. And that's just not something that, I mean, there were some very dark times of prior to my dad getting sober where I I did not think that I would have a relationship with him. So the fact that we have a relationship at all is amazing, but the level of relationship that I have with him is, it's just, it's one of the most special things in my life. And I'm so grateful because it would not be possible if he had not chosen to prioritize his recovery. And if it wasn't something that he made important, that's the part that is amazing is that we get to be a family now and we spend holidays together and we spend time together and we do things together. And that's just the greatest gift to me. Oh, I love that you said that you, and you guys just, you know, like, yeah, like I do know Rachel outside of here and I know her parents pretty well. They're pretty special to me and my husband. I don't know why, but they're pretty special. <laughs> um, what I do want to kind of end this with talking about is you guys do have a great relationship. You know, Rachel chooses to participate in her dad's recovery. She makes the choice to participate. And I'll go ahead and let you talk about what that looks like, because to a degree, it's also the family members. And you can speak to this too, Rachel. Like, do you believe that it is partly the family member's responsibility? Like if they really want to get to know what it's like to be an addict or an alcoholic in recovery, like it's up to you guys to, to fit, like, you know, do your research, you know, go to meetings, like figure out what it is that you can do so that you can have a better understanding so that when you feel like your dad's being crazy or he's irritable or he's not himself, you know, Hey, like I get it. I've done some research. I've done some digging. I've hung out with some people. I know that this is a part of it and I know what helps him. What does it look like for you to participate in his recovery? I think this is part of probably what comes with being a kid of an alcoholic is that you end up really liking other alcoholics, which (laughs) if they're sober alcoholics, that's a, that's a pretty great thing. It's a weird quirk of mine that I feel like I just like end up hanging out with alcoholics, but, um, (laughs) but I do, I think that that is one thing that is important to me now. I'm not sure how this evolved for me because, you know, certainly like prior to my dad getting sober, my, I remember my mom trying to take me to meetings. I tried to go to Alateen. I didn't want any of that. I didn't like any of that. So I'm not sure exactly where the shift happened for me, but certainly over the last 10 years, I would say like really since I was in college, I usually go to a meeting with my dad when I'm home. He has a home group and I usually try, if I'm available on the night that he goes, I usually go with him. And that's something that I know that he really likes it. And I also know that now, I mean, his recovery is such a big part of his life. So many of his friends are in AA. So many of his really close relationships are people that he knows from AA. And so for me, it's yes, it's certainly, it's both. Like it's both getting to know my dad more as a person 
because now we're adults and we're friends. And that's a weird thing that happens, but we're friends now. So I want to know his friends, but then also that's a really big part of his recovery because those are his people. Those are his support system. It's funny that you say like, I've never really thought of it in terms of my part in his recovery. I'm sure that I am, but I don't think of myself as being a big part of his recovery because so much of this, he he had to do it by himself. So he did. So now that I guess to me is more just like, it's kind of the other piece of that, like cherry on top of our friendship and our relationship is just getting to participate in his life. And a big part of his life is his recovery. I don't know if that makes sense. It got a little rambly at the end there, but. Oh no, totally makes sense. Oh, I love it. And that's the cool thing because you choose to like get to know your dad and like, that's part of it for you. Like your way of getting to know him was like getting to know his friends, hanging out with the coolest kids on earth, alcoholics like myself. I'm just kidding. Sober <laughs> alcoholics, like you said, <laughs> sober alcoholics, guys. But it's so true. I love it. And I think it's so rad that you do that. All of us have some responsibility that we have to take part in, in this family disease. And so I want to wrap up this podcast by asking you, Rachel, if you could say something to a family member who is struggling with their family member getting sober or they are sober and they're like, why aren't they back to normal? Or what is taking so long? What could you say to that person that's struggling to relinquish control over the situation that their loved one is in with their addiction? Oh, that's so hard. I think I would say my experience is that it gets better. My experience is that recovery is possible. And my experience is that reconciliation is possible. And that is not everyone's experience. And I recognize that. And it breaks my heart for the people that that's not possible for, but very firmly believe that it's possible. And I think that it takes time. Unfortunately, it's the worst and best part of it. My dad's been sober for 15 years. So now I get to say that he's my best friend. And I get to say that we have this really special relationship But if you had asked me that a year after my dad got sober, I would not have been able to see it. My advice would be for someone who's going through it, if I had to offer advice would be to try to stay patient, to take care of yourself, to understand what your boundaries and your needs are, because you do have to do some of that tending because unfortunately the people who are in addiction can't do it for you. So if you can take care of yourself and tend for yourself and be patient And then also, and this is the worst part, if you can continue to try to love the person through their journey, then I believe that it's possible. That's what I would say. I love that you said to try to love them through it. Love is all power. And I, and I love that you said that. So Rachel, if a family member or if anybody like was really touched by what you had to say, is there any way for them to email you or to get a hold of you just to be able if they wanted to ask you a question or talk about what you shared on the podcast is there any email that you would like to leave the guests absolutely yes it's my first name rachel that's r-a-c-h-e-l dot my last name hoover that's h-o-o-v like victor l-e-r at gmail.com yeah if you want drop me a line i'd be happy to chat ah You guys, that'll be in the show notes in case you can't spell from her spelling it out loud. Don't worry, we got you. It'll be in the show notes. Rachel, 
you are a gift. And thank you so much for choosing to show up and talk about hard things and talk about things that people need to hear in order to have their state of mind work for them and not be a place where they're in prison, but a place of freedom. I really appreciate you being here. Thank you so much. I'm really honored to have been here. Thanks for letting me share. Ah, you guys, this is how we do. I hope you guys go slay your day. I want to go ahead and end this episode by reminding you that if you or someone you know is struggling with addiction, please call the Harmony Foundation at 866-686-7867. Recovery is a journey and Harmony gives you the map. All right, you guys, we'll see you next week. 